interesting one of uh, who's here or who's not. A lot of us students, I think, are still away on break. If you are a student, you're here. Much props to you. Um, before we jump into our sermon, just wanted to give a quick word. Um, if you're normally here and you don't always see these uh, little folks running around here, uh, these are children. And we, um, every so often, we have seasons where we like our children to be part of the worship. And the reality is, if, if you are a parent here, we know those are not always the most uh, productive days for you. Like, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. But this is not, uh, we just want to let you, this is not just to give our children's volunteers who really deserve it a break. Um, it's not that, mainly. We also believe there's something of value for, for us at a young age to be part of a community and to learn what it means to worship, even if it doesn't fully meet exactly where we're at. I mean, even my own daughter this morning, she's like, man, is this one of those Sundays I got to be upstairs? Can't I worship downstairs? Um, as we talk about for our whole church, part of our community is learning that everything is not about us. And it's, it's, a, good, it's a good practice to be in a place where uh, we're with each other. So just for you to know, and for the parents to know, I think sometimes there's this self-conscious, man, everyone's looking at me because my kids are the one going crazy. They're standing up and doing somersaults in the middle. of. People might be noticing it's okay, but that's part of a community, right? It's, it's part of accepting one another, and that's okay. So don't feel judgment. Even if your kids start screaming, everyone's noticing, but it's okay. It's okay. We accept one another. I'm going to invite our sister Tiffany to come up and read the scripture for us. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading John 8, verses 2 to 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, send no more. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks, Tiffany. Let me pray for us as we go into the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, what an um, amazing passage. Lord, full of truth just from listening to it. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, you would guide us to understand more some of the things you might be wanting to speak to a room like this where we're all at different places to be able to receive from you, Lord and to know your love and grace in deeper ways. So help us, God. Guide us through this time. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. We are, this is actually our last sermon in this series called Follow, as we've been uh, going through some different teachings of Jesus that he gave to those who said they want to follow. Here are some different lessons he gave. This is the last one. Next Sunday we're going to begin um, a three-week series looking at some different Christmas Uh, principles through a passage of scripture so make sure you let others know about it even for yourself but we're just going to go through this bit by bit here and I'm going to ask the team to lead us through these verses but we're going to start 
from the beginning of verse 2, where it says, Early in the morning, he came, he came again to the temple, and this is Jesus, he. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And in those days, the teacher would be seated, um, like a, almost like a position of rest, and then the people would be gathered around standing to listen to this teacher talk. And this was not just sometimes a half-hour sermon. I mean, they would go on as long as they needed to communicate whatever God had given to them. So people would be standing there. And it was helpful, practically, because if you're standing up, it's harder just to fall asleep in the middle of the sermon. I know that's irrelevant for anyone here, because none of us ever attempted with falling asleep during a sermon. But if you did, you would have loved to hear it, because the teacher is just lounging. Um, so, I mean, if you guys want to do that, we're, we're, we're pretty open. We can get my couch up here, and I can just hang out, and you all stand while I, while I sit and preach. All right, I'm gauging it, right? Verse 3. So that's the setting. Verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Let's stop there. So imagine for a moment. I'm going to ask you to do this throughout the sermon. Imagine for a moment you're this woman. And I don't know if you, any of you have ever had that disoriented feeling when you are woken up suddenly and you are not planning to be woken up. Um, recently, my wife, with her job, she was on call for a week. She could get paged at any time, like middle of the night. I remember one night, it was like 4 a.m. She got the pager and the phone all went off. And we all just woke up, and it's like, what, what, what's going on? I'm like the walking dead when I get woken up when I'm not used to it. I mean, I look, like I'm, I'm, I, I look physically like the walking dead. It's that disoriented feeling. You're not sure what's happening, what's real or not. And I imagine this woman's kind of like that. She was pulled out of bed. Dragged to the temple courts, as we see described here. Most likely, she's standing there naked. Or maybe, maybe covered with a little bit of a meager piece of cloth. And again, put yourselves in the shoes of this woman. Imagine that's you. And, you, and you've been dragged out there. You're in the middle of this whole scenario. What are you feeling? Maybe there's like the sense of fear. You don't know what's happening. Shame. Terror. Perhaps it's like embarrassment. I mean, everyone's staring at you. Guilt, because, you know, you got caught doing something you might, maybe shouldn't have been doing. Or, or maybe in a, in, a, in a moment of clarity, you stop and ask, yo, where's this other dude? Because <laughs> in, in the law, it stated that both parties who are caught in adultery, they should be brought forth in judgment. I mean, it takes two to tango, right? So two people should have been standing there confronted with their sin. But it's just this woman alone. She's standing there. Everyone's staring. Verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So we get a new revelation. We get a new revelation. Because up to this point, this woman probably just thinks, I did something bad and I got caught. Sometimes you do bad stuff, you hope you don't get caught, but I got caught and you got to pay the consequences. And it's not, it's not fun, but you can kind of understand that. But then we all learn as we're observing here, it's actually not about this woman. It's not about her. She's a pawn in this political game between these religious leaders and this man apparently that they hate, Jesus. Because as fearful as, as she might be, maybe there's a little bit of like indignance in her as well. Like, she's kind of ticked off. Because none of us want to be used in this kind of Game of Thrones, like being moved around like a pawn, no matter how low we might feel we are on the social ladder. None of us want to be abused and used that way. We see what happens here in the second part of verse 6. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So again, put yourselves in the feet of this woman. Imagine you're her. 
You're standing there. You're shaking in front of all these people, literally laid bare. You're waiting to discover your fate. And out of the corner of your eye, you just sneak a peek. And you see this crazy man just doodling on the ground. <laughs> like, I mean, he's like, he's nuts, right? He's like doodling on the ground as you're like standing there shaking, waiting to see what's going to happen. And you're full filled with all of this raw emotion. Adrenaline is like, your, 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 your heartbeat is spiking. Your heart's pumping with adrenaline. There's suspense in the air. Everyone's on edge. But Jesus, he just slows it all down. <laughs> he like brings it home. He's like, huh? I'm going to doodle a little bit here. Get my etch a sketch on the ground, do my little. And, and maybe that's not such a bad thing because a minute ago, everyone's ready to kill you. There's like some slowing down here. In verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. So everyone's waiting to hear yes or no. Everyone's waiting to see. Or, you know, everyone's waiting on this. It's, and some of us, right? You've actually stood in front of a judge. And you've had to wait on the verdict. Like you've done something. You're standing in front of the judge. And you're like, oh, okay, I gave my best defense. And now you've got to wait for what your sentence is. Or maybe some of us, vicariously, you do it through like law and order, right? You're watching law and order. And you're like trembling because you're waiting for the protagonist to see what happens to them. And then you hear this really smart statement. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. That's like bumper sticker worthy. That, that, that's good. And, and as he wrote in the sand, no one's really sure what he wrote. Some scholars, they imagine... Some, I mean, it's, it's brilliant, I guess, but they imagine, they think that he was like writing the names of all those who had actually committed adultery in the crowd. Oh, we don't know. I mean, that makes for great speculation. We're not sure. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but I would suggest whatever he was writing, whatever he said for this woman, I don't think automatically she went to that place of vindication. Because you and I, if you've been in church enough, you know that this is a dun-dun-dun, and she's like, yes. Let him who is without you throw that first on you. She's probably not like that. She's probably still trembling. Because I think the most likely the scenario is she's still coward waiting for that stone to hit her. Because remember, she got, she got caught for an obviously sinful deed that maybe it represents her life in general. Jesus' words here saying, hey, yo, someone who is without sin, you throw the stone. That didn't mean for her a pardon. Because one of the things about sin, one of the things when you're in a certain state, when you are deeply in sin, there's this mentality, no one else knows what I'm going through. Religious people, oh, they're perfect. They don't struggle with the stuff I do. So when he said, hey, anyone without sin, you throw that stone, she's waiting for that person without sin. Because we got this jacked up idea that there are some people who don't struggle with stuff. There are some people who don't sin. That they don't generally mess up like, like I do. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if she didn't flinch in the expectation, you know, where's that stone going to come from? Where, where's it coming from? Because she knows she's guilty. She knows she's guilty. Verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Again, imagine you're the woman. Put yourselves in her place. You're stiffening up your body, to kind of prepare yourself for the cruel, like, blow 
that fate has brought you, right? You're, you're, you're toughening yourself up. You've had your sin brought out in the open for everyone to see. You are in a spectacle. You're ready to get pelted with stones. You're ready to die naked in shame in front of all these religious folk as they're ready to use you as a cautionary tale to their children. Don't be like that woman. Remember her? Remember her? Remember what happened to her because she was bad? Don't be like her. Don't be like her. Look what happened to her. Oh, she got pelted with stones. That's what happens to bad people. But you, and I really invite, invite you into your senses to picture this. You're, you're that woman, and you hear the sound of a rock falling to the ground. Doom. What, 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 what was that? And you start to hear more. Boom, 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 boom. Because that's how people are, right? When they see someone else do it, then they start doing it, right? And you hear all of these rocks thudding. You hear all of this clothes rustling as people are walking away, and you're pretty sure what's going on there as people walk away one by one. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a really good piece of news and you weren't sure whether it was true or not, whether maybe it was a job, like you were looking for a job, but you didn't know if you would get it, or maybe it was getting into a school or to a program, or maybe it was that, that, that girl who you asked out on a date, you're like, okay, I'm making a real reach here. <laughs> And you're not sure when they say, like, oh, yeah, maybe. You're like, okay, is that a yes or a no? You're kind of on edge. You're not quite sure. And I'm guessing that's her state right now, one of confusion. Because she's not fully sure. It sounds like everything's kind of falling away. But regardless of what's happening, I imagine that her heart is leaping a little bit more with each sound that she hears. In verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And we see Jesus, he stands to speak to address this woman. It's interesting that when Jesus addressed the men earlier, it says that he also rose. Right? He also stood to address these men, and now they've admitted they're sinners. They've admitted through the dropping of the stones, through the walking away, they have publicly con- confessed I am also a sinner. And obviously she is too. I mean, it's powerful imagery as Jesus stands to address this woman. He's doing the same thing as he would do to them. All of these religious people and this woman, they've been brought on an equal plane. And Jesus addresses them both in the same manner. And we see that this woman had to stand in front of Jesus naked with no way to hide who she is. I mean, she's literally been stripped bare in front of everyone. And the truth is, for every single one of us, one day we're all going to have to stand in front of God with who we are, what we've done, maybe what we said, who we've hurt. We're going to have to stand before God with that. And in that moment, as you picture yourself standing before the Lord, his question to the woman, has no one condemned you with euphoria to declare, no one No one. When there's every right to condemn me, no one stands to condemn me. And Because there's power in being able to verbalize and express forgiveness that we've received. When we've received the loving embrace of God, though we know we don't deserve it, there's euphoria to be able to say, no one. No one stands. And and maybe I can ask you as you're here, does your story in any way connect to what we read here? Can you identify at all with what this woman goes through? Does anything about what's happening to her resonate with you right where you are or maybe where you've been? 
I'm guessing in a room like this, that's unique to all of us. Some of us, maybe it touches you pretty emotionally because you've had that moment. Maybe you're not quite there yet, and there's hope that sparks within you. So I think for some of us, we can identify with, I think for others of us, the reality, and this is just a room like this, right? We have a lot of representation. The reality is, some of us, we, maybe we have a little bit more in common with the religious leaders than we do with this woman. I mean, I'll be honest, probably like, I'm getting old, 20 years ago, I would have been right there with the, uh, with the woman. I would have been like, yes, I jacked up life. Oh, I expect stones from every angle. Oh, Lord, no one has. Now, I can identify a little bit more with the religious leaders. I'm looking down upon others like, if you would just get your stuff in order, you wouldn't have to get dragged out like this in the middle of all this. You wouldn't have to have your stuff all in the middle of everyone in the crowd. This story is tremendously convicting to me. Because, it, it, again, um, I know you guys don't struggle with stuff like this, but I do. I astound myself at how easily I can find fault with other people. I, I hope you don't judge me too much for that. But I have a real easy time being able to see how other people have jacked up life. I can identify people's sin. Like, I have a honing radar that I can identify how people have uh, disobeyed God and disobeyed one another. I'm really good at being able to identify how people have fallen. But the thing is, uh, honestly, I see that much more than I acknowledge what I'm doing wrong. I'm really good at being able to point out other people's sin. Myself, not so much. I got good blinders for me. Uh, I, I love this quote, and I posted it yesterday because I, I just love it. It's from George Carlin, where he said, Have you ever noticed that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot, and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? Like, we've got this real sense of self, kind of like, I'm the arbiter of truth. So the way I'm going is right. You know, this is how a sane, normal person should drive. But, oh, man, that person who's blocking up the lane, what's wrong with them? Speed limits, whatever, you know, this is, it's just wrong to do that. You're holding out traffic. Oh, why are you cutting me off driving crazy like that? We, we've got our sense of what is right, how a person should act and behave, and often we don't put the same standards on ourselves. And, and if you do that in your life, again, I know you guys probably don't struggle with it, but if you do that, if, if you look at other people's sin, it's much easier for you to see than even your own. Uh, it shouldn't surprise you because that's our human inclination since our very origin. When you read back, and you don't have to turn there if you want, you can listen to some Genesis chapter 3, as it talks about when sin entered the world. And God, has, he's addressing his creation, Adam and Eve, in verse 11. He says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Because he had commanded, don't eat that fruit. Don't, don't, don't eat it. It's bad. It's going to harm you. Don't do it. But they did it. And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What's happening? They're being called out for their rebellion. They're being called out for sin. What did they do? They passed the buck. The guy's like, "Uh, it was her fault. The woman's like, "Uh, it was the serpent's fault. Serpent's like, I don't know what happened from there. Just punishment and wrath. But we had this human inclination that when we are confronted with the ways we are fallen, we look for a way to deflect that. We look for other people's reasons of why we're like that. 
We look for how other people have hurt us, and that's why we are who we are. And our tendency when, when, when we're confronted with our sin is to deflect from our own fallenness. And we all do that at certain levels. And as we sin, one of the ways that we are prone to justify ourselves is by pointing to other people's sin. What I mean by that is when we are confronted with the reality of our sin, one of the ways we try to defend ourselves is by looking at others and saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like her. Oh yeah, I got a mouth on me, but not like him. Oh yeah, you know, I steal some extra Splenda from Starbucks, but I'm not a thief like her. Like we justify ourselves. We, we deflect away to other people and their actions. We find others who have fallen and we aim our rocks. It's almost like spiritual plea bargaining, right? We know we're guilty, but we're going to try to bring our plea, our, our sentencing down a little bit by plea bargaining. Oh yeah, I'm, I know I'm, I'm guilty, but not as much as him. I'll, I'll, I'll defend myself by giving up that guy. It's almost like spiritual plea bargaining. And, and I'm going to guess, most likely, I hope, most of us here are not walking around holding a rock waiting to bludgeon someone. I hope. But maybe the, maybe the rocks that we're holding onto are a little bit more subtle. You know, may, maybe they take the form of, like, stones of self-righteousness. Or maybe anger. Perhaps um, arrogance, maybe regret, maybe bitterness, perhaps it's jealousy, envy of others. And, and, and these are stones that are ready to be hurled at those who don't measure up to our standards of right and wrong. Like we hold these stones ready to hurl at those who are not living, acting, talking according to the way someone should by our standards. And I want to say this, I think, especially for our church culture, because knowing us, because I think one of the marks of our culture here at the village is we don't like to be those judgmental people, right? We actually like to look at people who are judgmental like that and say, ah, that's why we're different from them. We're a different kind of church. That's why we started this whole thing called the village, so we could get away from the fundamental, like, backwater, like, you know, we're not like that. We're accepting, and we're gracious, and we're kind, and we love everyone. We're just a different kind of Christian. Here's the thing. Um, I've noticed even those of us who like to say we're not judgmental, we judge those who are judgmental or who we think are judgmental. We go on Facebook. We go on the social medias. We, we look at the websites and we're like, man, if it weren't for those judgmental Christians out there, you know, talking bad about people and making us all look bad like our crazy uncle. You know, why, why do they need to do stuff like that? Because, you know, we are representing the Lord Jesus Christ and being accepting God. And yet we do the same thing, and we judge those who we think are judging. We have standards of what right, what's appropriate, what's wrong, what's inappropriate. I've noticed that. And maybe I can suggest the best thing that we all here can do today. Maybe the first thing is to recognize if we've got a stone clenched in our hand. Sometimes you don't know it until you look down and you look at your fist. You're like, oh, okay. I guess he's talking to me. I got this big old rock in my hand. Maybe the first step is to acknowledge that freedom comes by letting that stone fall to the ground and walk away as you pause and you think about how you need this Jesus as much as all those jacked up people need Jesus. And I think it's, we got to say this, I think some people 
they interpret the main point of this whole story. Yo, Jesus is not concerned with our sin as some of these judgmental, self-righteous religious people often seem to be. This is why I love Jesus, because he's not like those judgmental, always pointing out people's problems. Man, if Jesus were around today, he would have a strong word for all those self-righteous, religious, Bible-thumping, holy moly's judging each other on Facebook. He would have such a word for them. Um, I, I think we're losing the bigger picture if that's, what, if that's all we see here. Because the truth is, Jesus is very conscious of our sin. He, I mean, he, he tells her, go and stop sinning. I mean, that's conscious of her sin. He's saying, I, I know what you did. I'm not glossing over. Don't do it no more. That, that's what he's saying here. But he takes it farther than that. Because what he's showing is that Jesus actually takes the law even more seriously than everyone there does. Because I think just sometimes there's this misunderstanding in our modern culture of, of Christianity, this kind of sense of Jesus. Oh, yeah, you know what? Old Testament, Simpsons, wrath of God, big thunderbolt, God in the sky with a big lightning ready to throw it down onto sinners and wrath and judgment. Oh, Jesus came to give everyone a holy hug. You know, he's just about peace and love. And if you've been broken, he'll hug you, which is true. If you sin, he'll forgive you, which is true. All that's true. But we forget Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't say, yo, it's all good. He actually raises the bar. Because he doesn't just tell her, yo, it's all good. He tells everyone, no, you're all sinners. He raises this bar of what it means to follow him. Instead of this message, yo, we're all good. He actually says, we are all sinners in need of the grace of Jesus. He levels that playing field. He puts everyone on an equal, uh, equal footing. He, he puts this adulterous woman on the same level as these pious religious leaders. He says, maybe your external actions all look different, but the way I see it, you're all the same. Put down those stones. Y'all need help. No wonder the gospel is called scandalous. No wonder this message of Jesus is called a message for fools, because this is crazy. It's saying that you can be the most holy moly, Bible-thumping, religious person quoting scripture in like eight different translations at the same time, and your need for Jesus is the same person as the person selling stuff on the corner over here. That's what, that's what the scandalous message of Jesus, and that's really offensive to people. You want to know how offensive it is? It's like during the riots when I wrote some stuff, and I put some stuff out there saying, you know what, all the people you're judging out there in the streets as these evil thugs, you're the same as you need Jesus just as much as them. You want to, you want to know what got me the most pushback? That. People were offended that I was saying y'all need Jesus the same. Because it's a ludicrous kind of message. But the thing is, a scandalous gospel creates a scandalous community. Because when we know that the field is level, if you and I, if we truly embrace this idea that the, the playing, level is, uh, playing field is level, we can stop hiding behind our masks of righteousness. Because doesn't that bug you about church when it's done poorly? That church becomes the place where we're like the fakest ever in our life. Like, doesn't that, doesn't that upset you that the place where we should come with the most freedom is actually the place where people feel like they got to put on the biggest mask, that they've got to put on the biggest way to convince people they're okay? We, we've, like, gotten away from the message of Jesus here. But when we understand the playing, level is, playing field is level, Jesus sees us as all in need, we are released to be a community where each of us can openly confess our sin. We don't have to keep hiding. 
We don't have to keep pretending. We don't have to keep justifying. We don't have to keep defending. We don't have to keep pulling back into our family sister, family history and say, it was my crazy uncle that... We don't have to do that anymore. We can just honestly, openly bring on and say, this is where I've fallen. This is how I fall short. This is how I sin. And when we all do that collectively together, we can point one another to the love and the grace and the mercy that's found in Jesus, available to all, available to any who would cry out for that. Because when we're in a community like that, Jesus, instead of lowering the bar, he's raising it real high. He's raising it to like changing these lights kind of high without a ladder. He's raising it to the point where all the ways that you've considered yourself kind of righteous, especially in comparison to other people, you realize there's no way you can reach it on your own strength. That there's no way how good you are, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many Bible studies you go to, how many prayer meetings you have, there is no way you can reach the standard of righteousness that Jesus has. It's like up here and we're all down here. I saw this last night. I thought this was great. One person wrote, the Christian symbol is not a ladder. It's a cross. The Christian symbol is not a ladder. It's a cross. This idea that the Christian, the Christian faith is not about climbing this ladder and trying to reach God by keep going higher and higher. It's this message called a cross where none of us can climb. And we need someone to do the work on our behalf. And it, his name was Jesus on this thing called a cross where he defeated sin and death and he rose from the grave. And I want to invite you to that kind of community. I don't know if, what your background is with, with Jesus, with church. Maybe some of you have thought that church is about people showing everyone else how much more righteous they are. If that is, that's not the message that's scandalous of Jesus. The message is we are all sitting here equally in need of Jesus. So when we look at how the story ends, we actually don't know how it ends for the woman. It's a, it's a little ambiguous. We don't know what happens to her. But I, I try to picture down the road a little bit. Again, you've got to realize this is not in the scripture. I'm just extrapolating, imagining. But imagine her, she's down the road a little bit, and she hears about this crazy story about this thing called a cross. She's like living her life, and who knows if she listened to Jesus and went and stopped sinning, or she's doing the same thing she did. But in the middle of that, she hears this story, this crazy story about this great teacher who did all these miracles and t- gave amazing sermons, but then he was arrested. And they said that he was like trying to overthrow the government, and he was evil, and he was not of God. And she hears about that like, man, that, that sounds really familiar. You mean Jesus? Because she was not condemned this day that we read about here, but this Jesus was con- condemned on the cross for all of her guilt and shame. And on the cross, the innocent took the place of the guilty. And imagine, imagine the deep movement of her heart as she recognized what he had done for her, though he was innocent. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Now I'm going to ask our music team to come up. And take a moment as you stand. Can you close your eyes with me for a moment? before we sing, before we receive communion, before we pray, I want to ask you just as you stand there to imagine a picture in your eyes again. For some of you, maybe for some of you, you can imagine, are you holding on to certain stones right now? Has the expression of your outflow of your life been one of anger, of bitterness, of judgment, of looking down, maybe even judging those who judge? Have you been frustrated? Have you been living in envy? 
Have you been doing the, have you had these stones that you're chucking? And maybe it doesn't hurt like a rock hitting your head, but I would suggest it can have just as much negative impact. If you do, can I welcome you to drop those? Drop it to the ground and walk and let Jesus speak to you. Welcoming you to his grace. Welcoming you to his forgiveness. Welcoming you into his love. So maybe that's you, and maybe for others of us, you really do identify with the woman. And you've been running from your past. Maybe you're running from last night. Maybe you're running from your present. Maybe you're running from stuff that still haunts you in guilt and in shame. Maybe some of you have just, you know what God says and you've just been completely ignoring him. Maybe some of you know in your own heart, this is how I should be living and you haven't been doing it. Can I invite you into this amazing, scandalous message of Jesus that says, has no one condemned you? And that in Jesus you can say with authority and humility, no one I stand at the foot of the cross, not by my own merit. I'm not trying to climb a ladder. ladder. I'm just holding and gripping onto this thing called a cross because that's where my hope lies. He did the work I couldn't do. And I plead the blood of Jesus. That's just a fancy way of saying he's done what I couldn't do. And that's what I need. If that's you, I want to welcome you into this story. Because that's the marvel of the Christian faith. That even though you could do something that everyone else in the world is going to disqualify you, Jesus invites you to say, receive my grace, receive my mercy, be forgiven, be freed. And if that's you, I want to invite you into that this morning as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, Lord, simple message this morning, but I don't know. For myself, I need to keep hearing it, Lord. Because I, I, I've been living a life where I, I do try to climb a ladder. And that's what the Christian faith is. Trying to reach you more by my own efforts. And Lord, when I do that, I get really judgmental of other people who are not climbing as fast as me. Or I get really depressed because I'm not climbing the way I should and I'm lying on the ground. Lord, invite us into grace again this morning. Invite us into freedom again this morning. Let us focus our eyes not even on ourselves not even on our stones, but ultimately on on Jesus. And Lord, may this scandalous message be our message of hope today. So help us, free any of us who are in slavery to those stones. Our fists have been clenched for a long time around these things. Help us to drop it. Others of us, Lord, help us to be able to look up into your eyes and say, no one condemns me because of Jesus. Help us, Lord. So I want to invite you, if you are a Christian, to come receive the communion. Basically, remember the work that Jesus has done. Come come to the table from both sides of the aisles. Take a piece of the wafer. Remember the broken body of Jesus. The only one who was truly innocent lived the life of the guilty. And dip it in the cup. And remember the blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven, so that we can stand with a clear conscience. And even knowing we don't deserve it, say, no one condemns me. I worship in joy and freedom. And let that be your story. Do that right here at the table. Pray. Pray with one another. Do whatever you need to do. And let's sing as well as we do.